Support for Terrestrial comes from Westland Distillery. Seattle-based Westland uses locally grown barley to create new varietals of malt never before used in whiskey. The result is an American single malt whiskey that reflects the unique qualities of the Pacific Northwest. To learn more, visit westlanddistillery.com. A group of young Americans between the ages of 10 and 21 are suing the United States. They claim that the government is violating their constitutional rights to life, liberty, and property by supporting the use of fossil fuels, which contribute to climate change. It's controversial and precedent-setting because the Constitution has never been applied to tackling the issue of climate change. And I find it fascinating. But I'm also wondering, is court the right place to do this? So this episode, we're going to meet one of the young plaintiffs in the lawsuit, and we're going to dig into how this case actually works. I'm Ashley Ahern, and you're listening to Terrestrial, a show that explores the choices we make in a world we have changed. Victoria Barrett is 18, and she went to an all-girls Catholic school in New York City. She has this easygoing, confident way of holding herself, wears baseball hats and jeans, listens to Kanye and Kendrick Lamar. And she was really looking forward to her high school's yearly retreat. Uh, it's like a three-day retreat. You talk about your feelings and stuff like that. But she missed a big part of it because she was giving a talk about climate change and this lawsuit she's a part of at the United Nations. For the last few years, Victoria's kind of been stuck between two worlds. She's passionate about climate activism and devotes a lot of time to it. But she's also a teenager with friends and homework and college on the horizon. So I, I went with all my friends on the bus. I had to leave that night, go home, wake up in the morning, go to the U.N. And being in the U.N. could feel like you're in like a completely different world, and especially on the day of a General Assembly meeting. And like I had to give a speech, and I was going from like lunch to like interview to like dinner, and it was just crazy and surreal. And then she went back to the retreat and rejoined her classmates, right in the middle of the talent show. Everyone in my class was like up dancing and screaming. And I, I was just like not in a good mood at all because I was just like, I, one, feel like I missed so much today and two, like don't really know how to readjust to this. Like I just left this, I just left the United Nations and now I'm in a room like full of screaming, dancing girls. And I, I can't like, I was like, does nobody know what's happening in the world? Like, is, how is anyone happy right now? Like how is anyone having a good time? Victoria was at the U.N. because she's one of the youth plaintiffs in a case known as Juliana versus the United States. The case had been scheduled to go to federal court in Oregon early next year, but now it's on hold while the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals considers a petition filed by the Trump administration. The organization behind the lawsuit is a nonprofit called Our Children's Trust. Victoria got involved while volunteering with a local kids environmental group in New York City, and one of the organizers there suggested she join the suit. When I told my mom about it initially, she was kind of like, skeptical. She was a bit like, mm, that seems risky, like suing the government. And also, my mom is from Honduras, and in a country like Honduras, suing the government is like, not even a, you don't do that. <laughs> like, that is not an option. She kind of had, still had that same idea where I could tell she kind of thought, she, you could tell, like, maybe she thought the CIA or FBI was going to be watching me or something. She just seemed very, she's like, don't you want to work for the government, Tori? You don't think this could be bad for you or anything? And I was like, no, this sounds awesome. Like, I want to do it. Victoria's mom eventually came to understand her position. But things with her dad have been tougher. He's a big fan of conservative talk radio. Victoria grew up hearing Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh in the car. 
And he doesn't think climate change is that big a deal. He's skeptical as to its, it like as to how severe of an issue it is. He sees it as um, he sees that like he thinks that some of the rhetoric around it is just inflammatory and wants to make people scared. And I think my dad is really smart. I just think that he's wrong about this specific issue. She and her dad have had a lot of hard conversations about climate change. But even though they don't agree, Victoria's dad respects the fact that she's taking action against what she sees as inequality. Because climate change affects some countries, like Honduras, more than others. Sea level rise really impacts the coasts of Honduras. But, you know, they're not the ones contributing mostly to the issue. It's an issue of justice and fairness and the fact that you know, the people who are contributing the least amount to climate change and the least amount of carbon emissions to the world are the ones being most affected by it. And the way Victoria sees it, that includes young people who are set to inherit a world that scientists say is becoming less and less hospitable to human life as our CO2 emissions continue to accumulate in the atmosphere. That's why she joined the lawsuit. She says the government has known about the connections between the dangerous effects of climate change and fossil fuels, but it failed to take action. And even though our elected officials like to ignore us because of we can't vote, it seems like another way to make change. And I've always really been into government and taking action through the judicial branch sounded really interesting. So I was like, yeah, I'm down for that. When I first heard about Juliana versus the United States, I figured this was a lawsuit based on violating an environmental law. Like if you violate the Clean Water Act or the Clean Air Act and you can get sued. But this is based on something different. Victoria and her fellow plaintiffs are saying that the federal government is violating the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. That's the one that says no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Basically, the lawyers working with Our Children's Trust are going to argue that the federal government put the lives of citizens at risk by doing things like allowing companies to mine coal and drill for oil on public lands, since burning those fossil fuels contributes to climate change. And... The government knew about that, and they've known about it for a long time, and they failed to act on it. And they Mm -hmm. failed to act on it in a domain where they have sovereign authority, where they control it. That's David Fagman. He's a pro bono advisor on the case and also the dean of UC Hastings Law School in San Francisco. He says, think of it like this. We the people give the federal government power. We put our trust in them so that they can then protect us and the land and waters we all share. Sort of like how we give the police the power to protect our towns and cities, to enforce the rules and keep everyone safe. Now, he says, think of the fossil fuel companies like a bad neighbor. It's sort of like if I have a neighbor who's throwing garbage over my fence Mm -hmm. and the police know about it and they have the rules and the regulations to stop my neighbor from throwing garbage over the fence and they fail to do that. So, Fagman says, as an individual citizen, do I have the right to take legal action against the police, or in Victoria's case, the government, for failing to protect me? Well, one might argue that under the Due Process Clause, you do. Fagman says fossil fuel companies are essentially throwing garbage, or in this case CO2, into our shared atmosphere. And the federal government has the power and the duty to prevent them from doing that for the sake of all citizens. But how exactly would it work? The key, he says, is to get specific convince the court to require the federal government to commit to reducing CO2 levels in the atmosphere to 350 parts per million. So for every million molecules in the atmosphere, only 350 of them can be CO2. 
Okay, so what's in a number? Why 350 parts per million? And what's the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere now? We're going to get into that in a minute, because that number is important. And when courts make a ruling with a specific target or a number like that, it marks a clear line that demands a specific action. Support for Terrestrial comes from Westland Distillery. Westland is leading the emerging new category of American single malt whiskey. Distilled, matured, and bottled in the heart of the Pacific Northwest, a region known for its innovative spirit, their whiskeys bring a new and distinctly American voice to the world of single malt. To learn more, visit westlanddistillery.com. Support for Terrestrial also comes from ReachNow Mobility Services by BMW. ReachNow members have access to hundreds of BMW and mini vehicles for flexible one-way trips around Seattle. Listen to your favorite public radio station in comfort and style as you drive to your favorite destination. Don't feel like driving? No problem. ReachNow will pick you up and drop you off. It's the best way to get to the people and places you love. Learn more at ReachNow.com. So the last time we saw 350 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere, which is what scientists consider to be a safe level, was back in the late 80s. Right now, we're above 400 parts per million and climbing. But if Victoria and her fellow plaintiffs are successful, the federal government would have to put policies in place to not only stop emitting CO2 going forward, but to reduce the concentration of CO2 that's currently in the atmosphere. I asked David Fagman about that. Can we solve climate change from court, I guess, is where I'm left after all this? That just like coming up with a number like that just seems so almost arbitrary to me. Well, actually, I don't I don't think so. I for me, that's uh, an easier part of the case uh, Hmm. in the sense that the courts all the time have to set standards for how the government's going to act going forward. Here's an example. Brown v. Plata is a lawsuit that was filed by a group of prisoners against the state of California back in 2001. At the time, California prisons were even more overcrowded than they are now, 200 percent over capacity. Fagman says the prisoners argued that conditions were so bad they amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. And so basically they were saying under the Eighth Amendment, if you have too crowded a prison condition, you would be committing an Eighth Amendment violation Uh, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. The case was in and out of court for about a decade, and eventually it made it to the Supreme Court, where the prisoners won. And the court picked a number. 137.5. 137.5, meaning the court ruled that prisons can't be more than 137.5% over capacity. On the judgment that that was the threshold that over that number you could not provide the level of mental health and health services that would be necessary to avoid uh, causing cruel and unusual punishment. That ruling meant that the state had to make changes to meet the target. It could move prisoners around to other facilities, build new prisons, or release nonviolent offenders. Figman says the key to the litigation was setting a target. In that case, 137.5 percent, a specific number. And he says this is also what's needed to fight climate change from court. And similarly, uh, here, you could set a carbon threshold that is dictated by the science to the point that anything over that threshold would lead to a deprivation of a fundamental right to 
uh, you know, an, a citizen's right to be protected by the government against climate change. So one of the biggest challenges the plaintiffs will face in court is proving that 350 parts per million is a legitimate, scientifically-based target. Another challenge for the plaintiffs is that the atmosphere is global. Countries around the world emit CO2 and contribute to the mess up there. So how does forcing one country to limit its emissions ensure that the global concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere will go down? But nobody really knows what policies will lead to 350 parts per million. What, what are those policies? Jim Huffman is Dean Emeritus of the Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland, Oregon. Given that it's been decades since we passed 350 parts per million, it'll be a very tough target to meet. And Huffman says by setting that target, all kinds of government activities could then be seen as violating the ruling. Like, say the government issues permits for mining fossil fuels or building a new coal power plant. Those activities emit CO2. And Huffman says this case could set a precedent where those decisions could then be challenged and also end up in court. But imagine the courts managing governments with respect to climate change. That's every single aspect of government that the courts would have to be uh, running. So, Jim, are you um, are you concerned about climate change? I am. I am. Yes. And I think you you need to play by the rules. And and I think uh, these cases are asking judges to create totally new rules. And then I don't think they have the powers to create, you know, independent from how you feel about climate change. Uh, I think it's, for me, the question is not whether or not something needs to be done about climate change. It's, is this the the right way to do it, given uh, what powers it brings to the courts? And that's just his critique of the lawsuit itself, because Huffman also takes issue with the way it's being carried out. Well, to be sort of blunt about it, in a way, I think that the kids are being used. And it's it's a clever and probably effective strategy uh, but I think for the most part, these kids didn't really understand what they were getting into in any uh, sophisticated sense. A lot of people think that, like I said, like that we were put up to this brainwashed because we're kids and apparently kids can't have like autonomous ideas or feelings. Victoria has been trolled on the Internet, as have some of the other plaintiffs. She's missed school because of her involvement with the case and struggled to keep her grades up and balance a social life. Like, I don't want to have to do this. It's just I feel like it, it obviously needs to be done. Like, young people need to be speaking about this issue because other people aren't dealing with it to the same extent, like to the extent that they really should be. It, sometimes, you know, it's frustrating to think about the fact that sometimes I feel like people my age are fighting the hardest when really, like, we, we didn't even start this in the first place. Success for Victoria and the other plaintiffs could come in different forms. From a straight-up legal standpoint, it would mean federal agencies like the Department of Energy or the EPA would be required to adopt policies designed to limit the use of fossil fuels and bring the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere down to that 350 parts per million number. But even if the court doesn't set that specific 350 ppm target, it could still side with the plaintiffs and rule that the federal government must protect citizens from the effects of climate change. That would set a powerful precedent. And it could pave the way for subsequent lawsuits forcing individual states to take action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We're letting other young people all over the country know that you don't have to be able to vote to make political change. And there's a lot of power that you have as a young person that shouldn't be ignored or wasted. (laughs) 
This fall, Victoria will be heading to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She wants to study political and environmental science. Terrestrial is edited by Annie Aviles. Our producer and sound designer is Jonathan Hirsch. Lila Cherneff is our fact checker. Kristen Lepore leads our audience development. And Augusta Chapman is our associate producer. Our managing producer is Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by the band Tremor. Thanks to Cecilia Bitts at the University of Washington's graduate program on climate change for help with this episode. Terrestrial was developed with support from the NPR Story Lab and were produced out of KUOW in Seattle. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks so much for listening.